welcome to another message presented by the ministry of Christian Faith Fellowship. We are fulfilling the call of God on this ministry to preach the Word of God without compromise, raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that we have to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. When I, was a, when I was a little kid, the biggest thing happening in my little northern village in northern Michigan was the county fair. And we went to the county fair, you know, if you ever, I'm sure you've been to a fair or something like it. And so one of the, one of the things at the fair was a, a big old building like a semi-truck or like a more like bigger than that, more like a, a motor home, mobile home. And uh, it was a maze. And you could... You pay your little ticket and you go in the door and then if you could find your way down whichever avenue, because a lot of them were dead ends. Everybody on a dead end? I've been on quite a few dead ends in my ministry life. It's not so bad. My pastor, John Osteen, would say, well, then just turn around and go back to the main path. Don't stand there and whine because you bumped into the wall, you know. And so, but we did. And you know, just little kids. And we were in there quite a while, and it was pretty obvious we were not going to find our way out of that maze. So we started yelling. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty, they, they made it dark in there, and some places they had mirrors to trick you, you know. And the, but if you could get through and figure it out and go out the other door, you'd get the prize. I couldn't tell you how many times I went through that maze and never got a prize. But I got rescued every time. Say it, I got rescued every time. And we'd yell and scream, and pretty soon the, the controller guy would come in and say, are you boys lost? Yeah, we always, I always thought like, you idiot, what do you think I'm yelling for? <laughs> yeah, we're lost. And he'd take us, he'd follow me. And you know, that guy never made a wrong move through that whole thing. He knew exactly where the open doors were. And I was thinking about that today, because we are now living in the maze of the last days. That's not just poetry or a rhyme or a slogan without the Holy Spirit and the presence of God leading us today you will get stuck you and I and I believe time is so short now I truly honestly believe we're in the end of the world I do I'm, I'm convinced about it by all kinds of signs and biblical promises and things coming to pass and you can see it there can't be a lot of days left for planet earth and so that tells me Mark Barclay, you can't be going through the last day's maze and keep bumping into closed doors and backing up and trying that and bumping and backing up. I need the Holy Spirit. I think you do too. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me all the way through these last days so I can get the prize on the other side. I don't mind yelling, do you? I don't mind yelling to him. Hey, I did it again. I'm lost again. Help me again. Where are you? and have him guide me. Raise a hand and say, Lord, lead me. Come on, ask him. Lead me. Lead me through these days. Amen. And you know, you preachers, uh, pastors, teachers, fivefold, you know, I'm including all of you. You know, uh, people follow us. It's even more important we don't make major mistakes. It's even more important we're hearing from the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest things you and I can do is to develop a relationship 
with the voice of God. That we know that voice so well that when instructions come or commands come from the head of the church, we don't have to sit around and say, was that God? Was that, is this you, Lord? No, we know that voice so well. Even though our brain may not say, I don't know how this is going to work. Just being humble and real. I think I've told God every time he's ever commanded me to do anything big, I've always said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to do that. And maybe you're different. You could be a lot smarter than me. And every time God's ever given me a command, I've never had any money to do it. Sorry if that's discouraging to you. You're all looking like, oh, darn. I thought this guy was going to tell us different. No, we do it by faith. If God gives you a command and an assignment, he's got the supply to back it up. But most of the time, he doesn't give you all this supply and you store it up. And then he says, oh, did you wonder why I gave you so much or gave you this equipment? Say, no. And so I'm believing God. I'm sure you are right now. I got some major things I need in order to fulfill my ministry in the earth. Now, not even five years from right now. I need it right now. And God knows that because I'm just obeying and doing what he said. Praise God. Put your hands to heaven and say, I'm just going to obey you and do what you say. Come on, tell him. Yeah, just obey you. Do what you say, God, and, and, and it's going to come to pass in our life. Can I have an amen on it, please? Yeah, I think you got a Bible, or most of you probably have a maybe a Bible app on your phone or something, a device. You might have it memorized. I think Terry Mize does. But when you're that old, you can do that. You have a lot of years of accumulation. Hey, just because he married that young chick, Renee, doesn't mean. Amen. Uh, I'm trying not to look up at him right now, but nonetheless. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 7, 1. You probably have it memorized. I do, but it's good to look at it anyways. Having, therefore, these promises. What promises, Doc? The Bible. God's promises. Dearly beloved. So now we know who he's talking to and we know what promises he's talking about. Let us do what? Tell me. Okay, tell me out loud. Cleanse who? There you go, nosy one. Well, I have been working on that guy. You know, work on yourself. You know, I thought in, I mean, there's believers in here, but, but there's a lot of preachers in here. I thought in an almost all, almost all preachers meeting, you could say about anything you wanted to that was straight and sharp-edged, and now I see we have some girly guys in here and some little <laughs> sissy boys, I guess. I don't know. Help me to be softer, Lord, so they'll receive me. Praise the Lord. Let us cleanse ourselves. Cleanse yourself. You, didn't, you, you never washed your hands just one time. You wash your hands all the time. And you're better. Right? And this was before COVID. Now, I know this is a shock to the government of the United States and a really shock to the governor of, of Michigan. But my mama taught me how to wash my hands, not wipe my nose on your sleeve, 
not sneeze in your face, not cough in your face. So I know it's a great disappointment to the government that they thought they were educating me to cleanse myself, but my mama did a pretty good job before they were ever elected to office. That's a good mama. Thank you. But look at this. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, small s, familiar spirits, deceiving spirits, seducing spirits, lying spirits, unclean spirits. There's so many listed in our Bible. They're all fallen angels, you know. And uh, obviously, this is a word to a church. This isn't a word to the beer garden, the guy that robbed the bank, the gang downtown. This is a, these scriptures are from the apostle to the leadership of the great spirit-filled. Basically, his greatest spirit-filled church for, was the Corinthian church. The gifts of the spirit and the manifestations and demonstrations of God were in this church. That's the church he's writing to to say, you better start giving yourself a bath. So they must have been allowing some unclean spirits to function in their midst or maybe not in the church, maybe just in their personal lives. So yeah, we're to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, not some of it. When I think of some of it compared to all, I always recall in my mind a message I preached for a long, long time, and I just called it, your Amalekite will kill you. Saul was told to go kill everything Amalekite, every animal, every human, and he didn't. And the prophet of God came to him. You know, most people don't like true prophets. They want the fake prophesiers, and they cheer them and support them and finance them. Even the body of Christ today seems to give more attention and more money to those prophets or so-called prophets that are always prophesying that never come to pass for some reason, but th this, is the, this is the real prophet. And he goes to the king, and he says, oh, you did not obey God. The king said, I did too. The prophet said, no, you did not. And the king said, yes, I did. How can you say that, Samuel? And Samuel said, well, then what is this noise here, the bleating, the noise of the sheep? These, this is a Malachite prosperity. What kinds in your purse would be a good question for all of us? What have you done to cheat, cheat God's people, cheat God, cheat yourself, or cheat something to get the money? But he did, and, and the prophet called him out on it. Maybe that's why a lot of people don't like the real prophets of God. But anyways, uh, he called them out. And then there was Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And the prophet of God said, I know you know this, most of you are, are, are strong believers or preachers. And he said, if you obeyed your God and killed all the Amalekites, who is this? He's the king of the Amalekites. I know why Saul did not kill him. Because Saul, like a lot of people, were in that place to say, well, if, they, if this was the other way around, and they captured us, I would not want him to take my head off. I, would want, I wouldn't want someone to treat me like that. And so the, the prophet had to do it. He took the sword and killed that king of the Amalekites. 
Could you imagine what CNN would do with that? Oh, my God in heaven. Wow, yeah. And just took and, and, and walked away and saw this. A lot of people are like this, even today. He blamed the prophet and not God, and he lashed out at the prophet, and he tore his garment. And the prophet of God turned and said, just like you have rent my clothes, my God will remove the kingdom from you today. You're done. You're done. Now, later on then that moment, Saul's a warrior. So are his sons. He's at war. He's in the battlefield. You, I know you know the story. Just let me preach that. He's in the battlefield, and he gets wounded fatally. He's not dead yet. And he turns to his armor bearer, who was, a, we'll say, a Jewish armor bearer. He turned to an armor bearer that walked with our God and said, Don't let them catch me. They will torment me publicly. Do me in. And the armor bearer said, I could not do that. The prophet anointed you to be the king. I'm not going to touch God's anointing. Well, Saul was far from anointed at that time. Oh, yeah. Just go study his story. He turned mean. You'll turn mean if you walk away from God. You'll turn mean if you lay down this Bible. You'll turn mean if you start rejecting the preacher. Let's remember, this isn't just Old Testament. Remember Demas? He served on the Apostle Paul's team. He was close to the Apostle of the day. And Paul wrote and said, Demas has forsaken me. Always preacher first. It's always the preacher first. You forsake the preacher first. He has forsaken me, for he loves this present world, and he has departed. No one departs until they forsake the preacher, and it's always based on a love for something other than preaching the gospel. And I'm preaching really good right now. And you, just for the record, you are lousy ameners. Of course, I don't pause very often either, so get ready, get ready. Here comes an amen pause. Well, see, Lord, they do know it. They do know it. And the Bible says that he turned Saul to another armor bearer and said, do me in. And he did. And he killed him in the battlefield. He runs the crown to David. Saul's like adopted son, we'll call it. Blood brother of his other son, Jonathan. And he runs the crown of Saul and other things and declares that he's dead. And David, I'm paraphrasing, David asked, how do you know this? And he said, because I was there and I did it to save him from, you know, told the story. I, the Bible records a little, but I'm sure the whole story came out then. And, uh, and so he said, well, who are you? And he said, I am an Amalekite. And the first time I ever read that and started it, God said to me, you better never have an Amalekite in your life. When I tell you to get rid of stuff, you get rid of all of it. You don't hold back nothing. If I tell you to live clean, the booze goes, the drugs go, the gossip goes, the foul language goes, the vulgarity goes, your old friends go, whatever's got to go. Don't store up an Amalekite when God tells you and me to get rid of all of it. It'll kill you later. And we have watched this over and over 
and over again. It's a very sad thing. I don't rejoice in it. It's a very sad thing to know people, believers and great preachers, and they end up with a sword from the very thing that they reserved in their life that they should have cleansed themselves from. If they just would have cleansed themselves from that thing, it couldn't have been there to haunt them. One guy said, I'm going to look into your closet, Barclay, and I'm going to find all your dirty stuff. I said, uh, okay, I'll give you a key. <laughs> That's only a threat to someone that has something hidden in the closet. Yeah, right. Not someone who's been delivered and I don't, we don't play with that. I, you can chase me all day long. You won't find any demons. Demons do not like Mark Barclay. Do they like you? No. I, well, that's the right answer. <laughs> but think about that. There's not a devil on this planet that will ride in my pickup truck with me. They don't like what I say. They don't like what's on my radio. They don't like what I say on the telephone when I'm talking to other people. They don't like me speaking in tongues. There's, there would be no reason for any evil spirit to ever want to be around me. And I think the same is with you unless you're dirty. Unless you're dirty. If you're dirty, you got to do what we all do. You cleanse yourself as fast as you can from fleshly stuff hurt feelings, the past, prejudice. That's got to go, man. You know what I'm preaching to people that preach this all the time, but that's got to go. And then these spirits, they got to go. Don't We're not entertaining some familiar spirit. You know what a familiar spirit is, right? It's where we get our word family. Whether you go to Koine Greek, the biblical language, or you go even some in Aramaic, the language of Jesus, or like some of your root words are from Latin. So whatever source you go to, you'll find out the word familiar, like familiar spirit means family member. They be, these demons become part of your family. I believe that's where a lot of hereditary behavior comes from. Great granddaddy did it, you know, granddaddy and granddaddy, daddy, and now you and probably your son will pick up the same type habit not because you're even teaching it, but because that evil spirit's chasing. And unless you and I cleanse ourselves and be the barrier, that demon will just override us. And before you know it, the same thing that happened in your life will be happening in their life. That's how it works. You know what the other function of a familiar spirit, you probably know this, but is to study how you and I, the true disciples of Christ, flow with the Holy Spirit and that familiar spirit watches that and tries to duplicate it, but can only counterfeit it, but it looks close. It looks close, like witchcraft. If you notice, now it could just be me, forgive me, I don't mean to sound critical. I'm a lover. But it seems to me like you go to meetings, whatever meetings, and uh, whether it's like a seminar, conference, church annual deal, minister's meeting, uh, the meeting of the prophets, or you go to this meeting and someone stands up and they prophesy everything we want to hear. I want everything I want to be prophesied. But it's not always what God said or what he wants. Therein lies the problem. But, it, but we cheer that voice. But the problem is, it hardly ever comes to pass. But it doesn't matter because the meeting's over. 
So we'll have another meeting. And we, for some reason, we seem to invite up the same voices. And they prophesy again with great glee everything we hope happens. And then it doesn't hardly ever, ever, ever come to pass. But it does not matter to most because the meeting's over. And so then we'll have another meeting. And isn't it amazing? They call the same voices to prophesy what we all want to hear so we get our clap and our shout in. Woo, I like that. That's true. Praise God. And then it doesn't come to pass again. And could we, instead of cleansing ourselves from foul spirits, we're entertaining them by allowing such things. I could say a name right now, I won't, but he's one of my sons in the faith. He has a great church. He's from out west. And uh, you know him really well, Terry. You and I know him. And he called me one day and he said, Brother Barclay, I'm his pastor. And he said, uh, I want to have so-and-so come and speak in the church. I said, uh, okay, why? Well, I just kind of, I like his ministry and I've been watching him on you know, the, the TV, and uh, I just want him to come. I think he'd be a blessing. I, I said, uh, well, it's your church. He goes, I don't like that answer. He says, what do you really mean? I said, you need an interpretation for that. What I really mean is I would never have him in your church. I have never had him in our home church. He goes, well, why? I said, he's got a familiar spirit. You're going to have him come. He's going to have a great time. He's going to leave, and that demon's going to stay. Because the minute you invited the guy with a familiar spirit, you invited the demon that he works with, and the preacher goes on down the road, but the demon takes permission in your church. Three weeks later, he lost 100 people. Within six weeks, he lost 350 people. His church was like, at the time, like 1,250 people. And in two months, it was down to 200. And he couldn't figure out what was going on. And I said, did you ask God about the demon that you invited in your pulpit and gave permission to function? He goes, oh, my God, you mean? I said, no, I don't mean the man. The man brought it. The man left. Don't deal with the man. Just don't have him anymore. You need to deal with that demon that you, pastor, have authority. You gave permission for that spirit to come into your church in front of your people, stand in your pulpit, and the preacher's long gone. Don't even be concerned about him. But you better kick that demon out of your church. And you know he did? He repented to his people without slaughtering. We're not slanders. So he didn't slander the preacher. He just said, you know... We had a meeting a while back, and, and it was fun and everything, but ever since that meeting, our church has decreased. Some of you have been in horrible warfare, and as your pastor, <clears throat> I repent right now for that meeting. Don't matter, doesn't matter to you which one it is. I've repented for it. My pastor, Dr. Barkley, and I are in agreement. We have kicked this demon out, and you're going to be okay. God's going to recover us. Our church is going to be okay. And you know, people started, it, it, it's an amazing testimony. I tell them, you ought to write a mini book yeah, no of his life because people start getting healed. Uh, miracles start, I mean, at their home. I mean, in their life, money started flowing again. The church started growing again, like 50, 75, 100 people at a time. And I said, well, see, uh, I, I don't think I'd ever invite a familiar spirit back again. And I don't think he ever has. 
I'm not going to, are you? No, I'm not going to. I'm going to at least have enough discernment to know, you know. Why do you think, what do you think, this is a good word for you preachers. Why do you think the Lord said, try the spirits? Try the spirits. Test them. Not just judge humans. I love something that Dr. Hagen taught us years ago. We were in a meeting, like a, I forget what Brother Osteen called him. Like our, we would call him a camp meeting. And most of his were usually missionaries. But uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, word explosions. And Dr. Hagen was there. And he flowed in the gifts that night. And he showed up the next morning in the meeting. And so did some of us. And you know what he said? He said, for those of you that were smart enough to come to the meeting this morning, I'm going to explain to you what happened in here last night. And, uh, and he was casting demons out and binding things in a Christian meeting. And they asked him, are you trying to tell me, Brother Hagen, that a Christian can have a demon? I loved his answer. Brother Hagen said, well, Christians have dominion. They can have anything they want. If you want a demon, just invite one in your life. They'll come and run around with you. I thought that was a pretty good answer. But, but then he said this, you pastors especially, because you know you're in charge of the flock, you pastors need to start dealing less with people and start dealing with the demons that are dealing with the people because if you can get rid of the demonic activity, the people will settle down and they won't be led by these weird demons any longer. I thought that's some of the best advice I've ever had in my life. Say, thank God for that. Now, the most precious thing that you and I have in our life, I'm a blessed man, I'll admit it. And I know it's God and I know, it's, I know I, there's a lot of element. It is because of Mark Barkley, believe me. It's because of my wife, it's because of my partners, it's because of preaching friends I have, apostles in my life that... In the past, and the elders that have been in my life that have disciplined me. I'm a blessed man. I, I, I don't say it arrogant because I just said I kind of know where all that came from. But I could have said no. I could have said I'm not listening to you. You're from the old school. You see, my fathers, Dr. Hagen, John Osteen, my pastor, Roy Hicks Sr., you know, George Eric Evans, who was a big leader in the Latter Rain Movement, you know, Lester Summerall was one of my dads. I, they, they were all the old school when I was a young preacher. I could have said, ah, oh, you don't know what you're doing. You're from that old deal. You dress old. You talk old. I'm the new guy. I'm the Joshua. Uh, uh, I don't need to listen. I could have done that, and I wouldn't be blessed, and the, de the demons would probably still be driving my ministry. I certainly would have never went global. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I wouldn't have submitted myself to the elders of the church. I'm preaching pretty good. Hold this, Jude. I'm going to see if I got any money. I'm going to give myself an offering right now. I don't think you're going to, so I might as well. I don't know. Praise God. You're all just hypnotized or something. I don't know. Maybe I'll preach over here and get some amens out of this section right here. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Aren't they pathetically quiet over there? Just look at them. From, look at them. Just go. T -t 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 -t. But over here, we're ameners. Amen. <laughs> yeah. The most precious thing we have in our whole life is the presence of God. Amen. You can have church without God. America has proven that well over. 
Yeah, oh yeah. You can have church without his word. You can sing songs uh, that aren't even holy. They don't even represent God right in our churches. Church without God. But that's not what I'm chasing. I'm chasing God. I am. I love the presence of God. I love the feeling of the presence of God. I do. I not only know I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost, I feel it. God's not dead. He's alive. You can feel him. Well, Brother Barclay, now we're not led by feelings. We're not, I didn't talk about being led. But we have feelings. And we should have warm feelings with God when he embraces us. Because he's our father. And Jesus is our Lord. And I love his presence. I want his presence. I'm going to do anything I can in my life to never quench him. Because the Bible talks about that. It says, don't quench the spirit. New Testament, quench. Next step, don't grieve the spirit. Grieve him. Next step, don't resist him. Fourth step is don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And it's a digression. If you get used, or me, whatever, you get used to quenching him, the person of the Holy Spirit, it won't bother you anymore. Before you know it, you'll go, you'll go down farther and you'll grieve the Spirit. What's that mean? It's like you and me. When you know somebody just died or you know they're dying and you start grieving and you know there's not a thing you really can do about it. I mean, we believers pray and use the name of Jesus. You know that. But the average person, they begin to grieve. And when it says don't grieve the Spirit, that's what it means. Don't, you and I don't get in a place where he looks at us and says, I'm losing him. I'm losing her. And, I, and it doesn't seem, no matter who I send to them, it doesn't matter. Even, the, even their own leaders, it doesn't matter. I'm losing them. And then you go into this resistance thing. And you resist everything. And we have excuses for resistance. I named a couple before. Well, that's of the old school. I don't need to do that. If old bothers you, you need to ditch God because his very name is the Ancient of Days. This Bible has always worked and it will work today and you don't need another one. There's only one Savior. Uh, there's not another one coming. Amen. Praise God. Even The Lord even sent a train to say amen. Did you hear that horn out there? Praise God. It's the most powerful thing, the most precious thing, the most sacred thing we have is the very presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches. We will do nothing to quench him. We will allow no familiar spirit. You know, this familiar spirit gets on good intended people, people with good intentions, right? Like some people think there's a six-fold ministry instead of a five-fold. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher and intercessor but intercessory prayer is all of our duty it's not an office in the church but isn't it amazing this demon will fly in right in the midst of, of, the, of the place of God and pretty soon we have no offense now we have lay people telling the apostle they use omens I saw a picture I saw like witches use omens I saw what did you see I saw a glimpse of a red flag what did you see I saw the pole the flag was on his life 
And before you know it, they're coming to the pastor saying, I think you need to listen to what we picked up in prayer. As if God is not big enough to spank the pastor if he wants to, guide the pastor if he wants to, speak to the pastor. He, this, is, this is as silly as God going to your three-year-old and coming to you, Daddy, and say, God sent me to you to talk to you to be a, a different parent. Oh, I know I'm preaching good. I don't, I don't know. Let me start over. You know, I have another message. Let me just start over. I mean, the night is young. I'm doing okay? This presence is so important that even people that weren't born again knew it. Moses knew it. When God sent Moses to his step-grandpa, Pharaoh, remember he was pitched out of the lake and Pharaoh's daughter raised him basically in the palace. And when God sent him, Moses didn't say, I won't go. I'll only go under certain conditions. Don't ever do that to God. Naughty. No, no. But what Moses said was, don't send me. You could put a please in there. I think you can. Please don't send me unless you're going with me. If your presence isn't going to be there the day I talk to Pharaoh, then, then please don't send me there. You and me together, God, this is what Moses was saying. You and me together, I'll face anything. And I'll go anywhere you tell me. But me on my own? What if every church ever birthed would have first said, God, if you're not in this, and you're not going to be in it a year from now, five years from now, 20 years. If you're not going with me, then please stop me now. What if two young people in the church, little church Johnny and little church Mary, and they don't even like each other. And then all of a sudden they're 13, 15, 17, and they got an eye for each other. And little, little Johnny says, who is that hot chick in the youth group? And one of the other girls said, well, she was, she's been raised here. No. I want her. I'm going to marry her. Before she had cooties, she was ugly. You know, what's she going to this church for? What if, as hot as they were, they both went to the altar of God and said, Lord, I think we're going to get married, but if you're not going with us, pull the plug right now. If your presence isn't going with us. Now, there's times that that is mandatory. You still listen? Like, some of the places missionaries, like I'm a missionary, you're a missionary, for example. The, some of the places we go, you're not even going to pray about going there until you ask God if he's going with you. You don't volunteer for those trips. No, because the devil's waiting at the airplane when you get off the steps. And him and his demons are saying, you weren't sent here. You might be a mighty man of God, but God didn't send you here, and he's not working with you. With, and, and now, it, you know, if you're flying in a pretty little area with a nice little hotel and clean sheets every night, that might not be as dangerous. But when you go to some of these other places where the devil's already going to challenge you and you're going to have to cast him out of humans, I think you're going to want to make sure that God is sending you to do that. And so Moses said, please don't send me if your presence isn't going with me. I think one of the, the, the worst 
verses in the whole Bible is the verse that says, and Cain left the presence of the Lord. And he never returned. His misbehavior. That tells me that once upon a time, not born again, remember Old Testament, not spirit filled. Once upon a time, they were in the presence of God. You can't leave the presence of God if you were never in it. And his misbehavior. He wasn't, I can't find any verses where he was mad at his brother. He's mad at God. He took it out on his brother. You can't kill God. Next time someone comes after you, uh, to slander you and revile you and lie about you, and, and, and if that hasn't happened yet for you, you coward, get out of your closet and start preaching, and plenty of persecution will come to you. Can I have an amen from all those who... Okay, so, yeah. And, and he left the presence of God. But you can't find any scriptures really where I hate you, Abel, I'm going to kill you, Abel. Because, no, it was like, God even said, Cain, why are you so angry with me? The, the, if you want to study that out, you know what God said? Every time you did this sacrifice offering the way I told you to, I received it. But you decided to do it any way you want to, and I rejected it, and that's why you're so wroth. And he stayed that way. Did you know to this day, God doesn't have to receive your tithe? And he doesn't have to receive your offering. He doesn't. He's still God, and it's a privilege and an honor to present the tithe and offering to God, knowing that we're, we're not Cain. You know what Cain did? I think you do. The New Testament says, don't go the way of Cain. Why is that there? Don't go the way of Cain. Why is that in the New Testament? If God didn't know that modern Christians would be like Cain. I'll tell you what Cain did. You probably know it. Just act like this is a deep, deep revelation. <laughs> Cain, he was, a, he was a farmer. And Abel was a rancher. And you know, God, though modern preachers, many of them have denied this part of, of our God. Our God is an extremely bloody God. Yeah. Our God has always required blood and something must die if you sin. Go study it for yourself. No bloodshed, no coverage. Remember, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with plants and God said, won't work. Now he still disciplined them, but he covered them with fur so some some animal somewhere died and blood was shed. God's always been a bloody God. Look what he did to his only begotten son just for you and me. So Cain says, one day, I don't, we don't know why, it doesn't say why. One day Cain said, God knows I'm a farmer and I'm tired of bartering my grain and my vegetables and what with my brother to get an animal that I own because you can't sacrifice something that costs you nothing. So he had to barter. By the way, this is where money changers came from in the temple area. Did you know that Jesus did not cleanse every time and every money changer and all the tables just one time? Why? Why were the others permitted for years and years and years? Because God requires blood. And if your family are basket weavers, you grow grain, 
or whatever you do, you bring it to the money changers, the ones that aren't crooks, and you could fairly barter, and now you own your own doves or your own lamb for sacrifice. It's not theirs, it's yours now, right? That's obviously what Cain and Abel was doing. And one day Cain said, no, I'm going to serve God any way I want to, and he's just going to have to accept it. Welcome to 2023. Because we're seeing this now in churches almost everywhere. Well, I'm just going to, I don't have to do that. I mean, that's not what God said. That, that, that's the very thing Satan said in Eden. In Eden. Well, that's not what your God said. That's not what he meant. And believe it or not, Cain, trained right, came to sacrifice day, brought his offering. Must have brought the right ones before because God never rejected it, before, rejected it before. And here he is. I don't care if you bring a bushel of beets and beat them and it's, and it's running watery red. It is not the blood of anything alive. And so he got mad at God. And God said, I won't receive your offering. And, when he, and, he, and he went off. And somewhere in there, he, him and Abel got into it, and he killed his brother. Just remember, next time people, and people can get vicious and nasty, even God's people. It's amazing. I thought all God's people were sweeties. That's what they told me in Bible college. I didn't think professors were supposed to lie. It didn't take me long in being in the ministry to find out there's a lot of Christians. There ain't a sweet thing about them, man. They're not only sour pusses. They'll hurt you. I'm glad you're looking like that. You don't know what I'm talking about, but I do. <laughs> Just remember next time, they're probably not mad at you. You're probably not the problem at all. God is. You're just the target. Can't kill God, can't curse God, so you curse another man. Wow. I got to tell you one more story, okay? Is that all right? I had this old preacher friend. He helped me when I was a young preacher. You might know the name if you've been around. His name was Hobart Van. Yeah. Hobart Van was a fiery, you know, fully red-headed, young fireball preacher. And back in the early, early mid-70s, we would invite him to come to our church. He was a soul winner. You could bring your dog to church in Hobart and get it baptized in the Holy Ghost and, and get his name, you know. Bow Wow's name is written in the Lance Book of Life. He was just a great soul winner and a fiery preacher. And he helped all of us. He was a guest speaker, but he was one of those that hung out with us, us younger guys. He didn't just like blow in, blow up, and blow out. He, and so he creased our lives. Well, you know, time went on, and I graduated from Bible college, got in the ministry myself, and, and we kind of, I lost track of Hobart. Until I was preaching in St. Louis, Missouri, not too many years ago, and uh, probably a church like this. And I looked up, and here come this little preacher guy, Wavy white hair, all white. And I, 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 you know what you do, how you're preaching? I'm thinking, I know this guy. But you know, you don't start preaching and say, I know this guy. <laughs> or, hey, you, do I know you? <laughs> well, maybe, but I don't. And so I'm just thinking, and, and, uh, I, and then I preached and had an altar call, and I still didn't know him, went in the back with the pastor. And he came back, and the minute he walked in the door, I said, Hobart Van. He goes, that's right, Mark. 
I said, what are you doing here? I come to see if you're worth anything. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You could have warned me. And, uh, and, and I said, we visited and we connected again. And I said, uh, I want you to come preach at our home church in Midland. Would you do that? Yeah, I'll do that. So I invited him up. This guy preached 62 years all over the world. He had 160-some churches in the Philippines alone. Just a great missionary, great evangelist. And he's in his older years. And so I invited him, and he comes, and, you know, we have dinner like you do. You know, take care of your guest speakers. Some of you pastors need a lesson like on that, not looking around right now. But, uh, you know, and so I pick him up the next morning go to church. You know how it works there, you know, the hotel that you, that you guys stay in. And then we go to my office, or not my office, to the prayer room. We got that garage. So I drive Hobart in there, and uh, I go to get out. It's just him and me. He's a pastor. I'm driving. I, I got one thing in my mind. I picked him up early because my church guys make one of the best cappuccinos on the planet, and I'll admit I'm addicted. And if you try to cast it out, I will bite you. <laughs> Didn't we just talk about demons or something, you know? Yeah, way to go, Doc. So that's what's on my mind. Now, I'm going to leave time to prayer and do all that, do things right. And so I get out of the car, and I go to, I, say, I was going to say, uh, I'll meet you in there, Hobart. And he's sitting in the chair, and he's praying. He's not budging. So I almost said, we're here, Brother Hobart. And then I heard what he was saying. And I stopped a minute, and he, it, it goes like this. Lord, it's me, Hobart. I'm about to enter the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary. I ask you to receive me. I don't want to quench you, Jesus. I don't want to say anything stupid when I speak. Mark's going to ask me to speak. I want to help your people. And tears are running down his face. Now, this is a guy, he's probably preached 50,000 messages. And so I, I looked at him, tears are running down. He's just praying, oh, God, please help me not to hurt nothing in your house. I'll tell you what I did, repented. That's right, Lord. I'm in worse shape than he is, Jesus. All I could think about was cappuccinos. <laughs> that five minutes of time, honestly, adjusted my life. It really did. That holy man, it did. It adjusted my life to this day. Now, I still want to get early and have a cappuccino, but I'm going to talk to God before I run in there and get the coffee. And I didn't realize being with that holy, that elder, that's a, pro that's a power of elders. You younger people and younger preachers, stop it. You got to find old people to submit to as long as they're walking with God. That's what we'll see. So I was just with this older holy man. I mean, he's got 25 years on me or more. He's in heaven now. And I changed my life. I sat there and I said, Jesus, I didn't realize that Mark Barkley had become so carnal. Now, I don't think I do anything. Let me rephrase. I don't ever do anything on purpose to quench God or hurt his people or or hurt the sanctuary. That's not my motive. I make sure. But I'll have to humbly admit, I never sat there before I go in the sanctuary and say, now, Lord, uh, get ready. It's Mark. I'm on my way. Help me not to quench you. In fact, 
I've discovered recently, because I live among God's people. I don't preach every night of the year, but I almost did for 35 years, honestly. Six, at least six nights a week, sometimes twice a day for about 35 years. I do a little less right now, but only for certain reasons. So I live among God's people. You live among God's people, you get their pulse. You go to church after church after church after church, you get the pulse, right? And I think, now, don't let me judge you wrong, because I don't mean to be judgmental, just observing, observation. I, I see a lot of people, I don't think they have any consciousness at all that they're in the presence of God when they come to church. I think they're coming to church. We're having church. But what if, before you ever got out of the car, we realized, even taught our children, we're going into the holy place. The Lord will be there. I don't want to say a lot of details, and I'm out of preaching time, basically. But, you know, I got invited to go to this really high place. Um, and there were two major world leaders there. That's all I want to say about it. And, you know, when I said I would go, the person who invited me, uh, which was one of the world leaders, said, I'm going to have our reception secretary call you and she will tell you everything you need to know. Okay. And so she called. If you would have given any church person that I know that list before they could come to church, our churches would probably be empty. Because that lady said, now you got to wear this color shirt, this color tie. You got to wear this kind of suit. Uh, you know, you got to make sure you don't have the following things on you. Uh, when this is how you stand, this is how you sit, this is where you sit, this is when you sit, this is when you speak, this is when you don't speak. And I kept thinking. Now, I did it because that's their protocol. I don't mind that. I can obey. But, I, but it just kept banging on me like, the only reason they're telling me this is there's two hot shots, world leaders, that's my alarm, world leaders that are going to be there, and i got to be just right for the two world leaders. What about getting in the presence of God? How about that? Set up straight. Stand up right. Dress up right. Let me stop this. Okay, you get to vote. We never vote. We're not a voting church. You get to vote. Do I hit the end button or the snooze button? I love you. Okay, you know what that means. Nine minutes. Nine, the snooze is nine minutes. If I keep it up, it'll only be eight and a half minutes. I can hit snooze. I know, I learned that. Yeah. I learned that. Thanks for giving away my secret, Dwayne. Could you cast him out? So... It's a, let, let me finish. It's the greatest thing on this planet to be in his presence. And you can say anything you want. I'm not spooky. And God doesn't make goofy people. There are goofy people, but it wasn't God who made. God, God will cleanse you of goofy. I walked through that door right there, and things were starting to go here. And I'm not spooky. 
the minute I walked in that door, I could feel the presence of God. The minute I got in the sanctuary, the holy of holies, and I looked at you when I first came in, I could see the glory of God on your face and the anointing of God on your life. I thought, God is in this house tonight. He's here tonight. And we're not joking about it. We're not kidding either. So, if you don't do it, please, from now on, don't even get out of your car until you prep yourself to get in the presence of God. Because it can't just be church. We're not, we're not here. Listen, you, you all go from here, this church, this building will be empty, and God won't be here either. So, he's here because we're here. So, prepare yourself. Your attitude. What, who, whoever you're not forgiving, whoever, you know, you're stingy, you're, you're mouthy, you're gossip, prepare yourself to go into the presence of God. Talk like it, sit like it, dress like it, so that you never quench the Holy Spirit. We have so many runaway preachers teaching carnality and disrespect, dishonor now in our churches that Everybody thinks if you wear a nice shirt with a collar, you're just old and you don't get it. We're supposed to be carnal Christians, dressed down, and treat God like he's one of us. I'm not picking on you for what you wear. It isn't, about, it isn't even really about what you wear. It's about what, why you're wearing it. That's, right. That's, That's the real deal. If you, have a, if you have a shirt and blue jeans and you wash it and you iron it because you're going to see God, welcome. Amen. Welcome. But if you're just a carnal cheater... And you have no respect for my God to even treat him and even recognize that you might be in his presence. But you are, whether you like it or not. Lift your hands to him. Father, we love you. I ask you to anoint these preachers, these pastors, these missionaries as fivefold. I ask you to anoint these believers. We're going in deeper than we've ever gone. We're going to have full recognition we're going to have full recognition that you are here anytime we gather anywhere in your house that you're present and we're going to treat you as such and we thank you for it we love you for it anoint us for it help us teach our young people help us to teach our staff so that even if a stranger was to come into our midst even if a stranger was to come he would say I could feel the presence of God in that place. In the name of Jesus, so help us, God. If I helped you at all, clap real good. Come on. Praise God. Hallelujah. pray you were blessed by the message we were able to share with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to find out more about our ministry, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.